You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. much to look forward to this year this year i said early in january i see this as a year of end of delay as i've been looking around some other prophetic words floating around on cyberspace one of the things that i've noticed is people are beginning to say look the beginning of the year is kind of like the third trimester of a pregnancy I believe that in this first quarter, 2019, you know, going into March, April, there's going to be a lot of people that begin to birth new things into the earth, things that God has impregnated you with. And and so I am believing God for a number of things, you know, in the lives of my wife and I to be birthed. And, and I'm believing that for you too. I really, really think that this is a year for an end of delay. But I also know that when there is a season for harvest, we need to make sure that we have sown. And one of the big challenges my wife and I have been given by God is a a, a mandate to sow this year and, and to sow an exceptional way. And, and I know that that is part of the requirement, at least for us, in order to see the things birthed that God wants birthed and not delayed or, uh, you know, dismantled and things go wrong and all of that. And, and, and so I, uh, I do want to just say that at the outset of this program, I want to encourage those of you that are listening to this, you know, God has things for you to birth. Do not hesitate to sow this year. If this has been a battlefield for your life, if you haven't understood giving, if you haven't, and, and I'm not even saying you have to necessarily give to us, although Bride Ministry certainly does receive it, give where the Lord is calling you to, but do not subtract this from the formula for engaging in the economy of heaven. Now, 
Uh, we have an institute, Bride Ministries Institute, with nine courses. I want to remind you guys, it's there for you. This this is how you get from beginner level to the space where we are talking. If, if Sometimes you hear things, you're like, I'm so lost right now. How do you go from you know A to X or A to Z or whatever? That's what the Institute is for because we don't have time necessarily to go and cover all of the foundation every time we do a podcast or our church or whatever. And so uh, make sure you take advantage of that. We've broken down the classes into three categories, level one, level two, level three. So you can find where you believe you should begin. And I, I say if you are new to Bride Ministries, you know, as God leads you, take them all because every one of them is going to be transformative. Now, I'm going to be in Australia in a couple of weeks along with my wife. We're going to be in Adelaide. There is a banner on the front page of our website at the top. Uh, it's We're calling it Manifest Breakthrough. If you want to be there because you happen to be in Australia, we'd love to meet you. You just have to go to bridemovement.com and click that button. And that'll take you over to a place where you can get all the details and even register and uh, I am just so grateful to Field of Dreams for hosting me and also to Gateway Church and Paul Tothill for being part of the execution of this conference. Um, I love and honor and respect the men of God that I will be joining in a few weeks. And for those of you that live in Australia, you know that I am going to also be greatly anticipating a real cup of coffee. Okay, <laughs> because here in America, we don't have it like you guys have it. <laughs> uh, we have Starbucks. Anyway, <clears throat> I and all my Aussie friends will understand that. <laughs> Some of you guys that have never been over there, you don't know. That's not your fault, but you don't know. Anyway, I want to tell you right before we get to our guest that that my guest this week, Dr. Ron Horner, expert on the subject of the courts of heaven is going to be having a conference. We didn't talk about the conference in the podcast, and so I'm just going to give you a few details here. At his website, courtsofheaven.info, you can look at the conference. It's going to be in North Carolina, February 21st to the 23rd. So if you are in the area and the courts of heaven is something that fascinates you, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, Dr. Ron Horner is incredible, and you're going to be learning more from him. One last thing, please forgive the audio quality of my microphone during this interview. I made a mistake and recorded to the backup microphone instead of the one that I normally use. And so my audio quality is a bit down, but shouldn't affect too much. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, we are back on Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall, and I am bringing back to you Dr. Ron Horner. He was with me a few weeks ago, actually, well, maybe a, more than a few weeks ago, but he is an apostolic teacher specializing in overturning verdicts from the courts of hell, engaging with the courts of heaven, uh, it, 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 and, and imparting 
knowledge of local church government, dealing with getting people freedom from captivity. He's written a number of books. Uh, in our first interview, we talked about one called Overcoming Verdicts from the Courts of Hell. Today, we're going to be talking about this guy, Engaging in the Courts for Ownership and Order. And you can find him at courtsofheaven.info. Dr. Horner, welcome back to Discovering the Truth at the End of All. Thank you, Dan. Good to be here. Good to be here. Well, it's really good to have you. And, you know, for those that are going to be listening to this, but they didn't hear us talk the first time, I want to start with this question. What are the courts of heaven? It's a whole series of courts uh, that God designed to bring justice to people on the earth. Uh, many times we often offer up prayers, but we're often wanting those prayers to be answered in spite of legal obstacles that are keeping those prayers from being answered. The courts of heaven system is designed to answer those legal obstacles and get things dealt with so the answers can come. So if we'll deal with the legal obstacles, the answers come. But if, so if you've got a prayer that's not being answered, it may be that you have some kind of legal obstacle we need to deal with to get that thing taken care of so you can move ahead. Very good. All right. So with that said, I want to get into this book. So you, you, you wrote this book called Engaging the Court Courts for Ownership and Order. As a matter of fact, you have other books such as, you know, Engaging the Mercy Court. Um, so, so like you said, you've identified in your exploration of this subject multiple courts. What, Dr. Horner, are the courts for ownership and order? Okay, the court of, uh, the one I'm talking about with ownership is the court of titles and deeds, where uh, we want to get, we first started, found out about the titles and deeds when we were looking at land issues. Someone had some property that was not moving, and they said, we need to find out what's going on with this land. So we went to the court of titles and deeds and, and dealt with some issues regarding that. But it was far more than just uh land and houses, things like that. It extends into people and the people groups. Uh, uh, churches and ministries can be locked down with some property issues or title issues. And then the ownership or the, the order part deals with the court of times and seasons. Once you deal with the ownership issues that we talk about in that book, you've never really been in that place before. It's a new place for you. And so your personal clock may not be synchronized with the timing of the Lord for your life. And so we go to the court of times and seasons and get things resynced. Uh, many people feel like they've been stuck with some event that happened in their life. This is a way to get that remedy for that. Oh, yeah. Well, I will tell you what, um, all problems that people have run into that I've talked to, right? Uh, people have definitely had difficulty selling land or getting out of housing. It even makes me wonder when I think about cities like Detroit, right? And where massive social injustices have occurred and then no one can sell their land and it becomes a compiled problem of injustice and so forth. How this looks from heaven's perspective. And, you know, you mentioned that you had begun dealing with land issues and I, I, I know you have, and I want to get you talking about some of these things because this is going to shed a lot of light for a, a lot of people. Um, 
so, so before I get you talking specifically about things that you've seen from heaven's perspective, I, I want to just iron one thing out. Dr. Horner, who has legitimate ownership of the earth? According to Psalm 24, 1, the Lord does. He never surrendered it. Uh, he tells us that the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the people and those that dwell in it. And there's oh, several other verses that say the same basic thing. But that one pretty well covers it. Uh, in the church, I've known a lot of people that embrace the idea that when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the, by the devil, uh, Satan says, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world. Well, Jesus didn't argue with him about it because that wasn't the issue at the time. But the fact that he didn't argue with him does not mean that he concurred with what he was saying. Because I don't find a, a place where it says, oh, the earth was given over to the devil. Uh, he has usurped some ownership, and he's acted like he did own it, but that doesn't mean that he has clear title. And so we want to uh, clarify the fact that I think the earth belongs to the Lord, and everyone in it are officially the property of the Lord. And so, but the ownership and order book will talk about how he usurps the ownership and how that impacts us. I'm so glad. When I read that in your book, I was just like, praise Jesus, hallelujah. I, I was really happy because I will be honest. You're right. A lot of believers think Satan has received dominion over the earth from Adam's sin, and now he is the ruler of the planet. And they cite Luke, and they cite another passage where it says, you know, for the God of this world has cast blindness upon the eyes of those that are not believing. They say, see, Satan is the God of this world. Everything in this world belongs to Satan. That means that you can't have any kind of wealth or access because it's all death, right? <laughs> so, so, so they look at everything, right, in, in the world in, in this viewpoint that it's like somehow infected with evil. That God just wants us to live these subordinated lives under the system of oppression we're born into and then die with enough morality to be accepted into heaven. They, they get this idea that, you know, God really is, is, is much less cared about the impact that they have on this world and much more concerned with just, you know, were they faithful in their place of defeat? And it's like, you know, well, praise God if you're faithful in your place of defeat. But I see he has an agenda for his kingdom to bring justice to the systems of this world, to people's lives individually, and to the heavens as a whole system through what he's working out in us. And it's like, ah, people, they get stuck and they will get confused on courts of heaven issues if they go in with a belief system thinking, I'm contending for something the devil owns. Right, right. And I had to ask the question. Right. I find it a lot easier when I understand that the Lord owns it. He never subordinated that to anybody. Uh, and so we can go with that premise. And what I'm looking at are, are false titles. Mm. Uh, because, for example, I, someone that I'm working with, they ha they owned a home, and they sold the home to a real estate agent. The real estate agent and s some other party involved decided they would create a false title and get a mortgage on the new title, never releasing the former title. So this lady has been stuck in a court system getting this taken care of. Uh, and all because of a false title. Now, the enemy is doing the same thing with us. He's creating false titles on situations and on, 
on our lives, on our families, things like that, that we need to understand that, hey, we can get this thing taken care of because he does not have all the rights he thinks he does. Uh, Bill Johnson put it this way. He said, if we embrace the lie, we empower the liar. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not really in favor of empowering the liar on these things. And when I go into the courts of heaven, I can find out, hey, what's the deal here? What happened on this land? What's the, is there innocent bloodshed that occurred on this land? So I can get that dealt with, repented of, and get a clear title, so to speak, on that property. Have property that does not have so many issues that you don't want to do anything on it. Or, for example, people see a restaurant. It's in one location, but it never stays one restaurant. It just keeps flipping or closing down. Everybody goes in, shuts down. The land's got a curse on it. We need to find out what the curse is, get it dealt with, so that that thing can prosper. The Lord gave us the dominion over the earth, but we have been very poor stewards on acting like we were the ones he placed in charge of it. And so we were saying, oh, the devil's got in charge, so I just have to do whatever, try to uh, squeeze things out of his hands every once in a while. And I don't think that's how God wants us to work this thing. <laughs> so, um, so, 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 so we're talking about false title deeds when we're talking about some of these issues. Now, you're talking about land. You've done some work in India. Can you tell us about false title deeds and how this relates to some of the work that you've done in that area of the world? Okay. The, uh, most of the, the work that we do has been in Nagaland, which was uh, one of the Northeast states. Uh, the Nagas were a tribal people uh, who have an Oriental descent. So they don't look like the Indian people in, on the subcontinent at all. The, uh, they were uh, very helpful in World War II in the Battle of Kahima, which occurred in Nagaland, which kept the Japanese from invading India to get the oil reserves. So the British, who were in charge of Nagaland and India at that point in time, said, at the end of the war, we're going to turn, uh, make the country, both of your countries independent. Well, they made India independent, but they made Nagaland become a part of India. Now, uh, one's a lot bigger than the other, but in the, pro- the problem with that was that the, the Hindu belief system was that if you were a tribal person, you were less than a dog. So they had, a, in their mind, a moral obligation to destroy everybody who was tribal. And so there was a, a civil war that went on for 60 years in that nation uh, where the Indian army would fight against the Nagas. The Nagas had developed, basically had to develop rebel armies to fight against what the, uh, the Indian army was doing. So they only came into a truce just a few years ago, or ceasefire, so to speak, of that situation. Now, Nagaland is still part of India, the, the proper part, but in, uh, Nagaland itself also had experienced some strong moves of God in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, where they had massive revivals. And in the 70s, it was a Book of Acts-style revival with the tongues of fire and things like that. Uh, It had been settled and evangelized by American Baptists. So it was predominantly a Baptist culture that experienced all these revivals. 
at the end of the revival in the 70s, over 90% of the population was born again. Now you think about some tribes had actually uh, 99% were born again. They actually did surveys to find these things out. So when I go to India, I'm not looking at doing it from a, an evangelistic standpoint because the evangelism has, has occurred better than most places on the earth. But they have still been under the oppression of the, uh, the Indian government and the way the Indian government treated them. So uh, false claims have been made on them. So we've been working with them in the courts to uh, bring them out from under those false claims, those, the false verdicts that were involved, all those types of things, so that they can become, uh, whether they become a free nation or not, they'll be free within their spirits. Mm. And the other things can just be details. But the, the concepts in the ownership and order book would apply to any kind of a people group that has been under the oppression of a, the dominant people group in that area. Uh, whether it's, for example, in North Korea, that dictator feels like he owns those people. So the freedom that they need is more than just a political freedom. It's a spiritual freedom. And that has to be taken care of in the courts of heaven. It can't be taken care of in the natural. It'll never happen. Uh, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation that happened in the United States in January 1st, 1863, when Abraham Lincoln uh, pronounced that all the slaves were free, that was all well and good, except for one thing. In the spirit, there were still bills of sale from those slave owners over the slaves that they purchased and those slave, the bill of sales were never satisfied by the Emancipation Proclamation. In the nation of England, when they dealt with the slave issue, they outlawed slavery, but the government reimbursed the slave owners for their purchases of the slaves so that there was a clear title to the, to the nation for the, the slaves that had been purchased. In, in America, there's not a clear title, which is why mm -hmm. we see the black culture still in slavery without being slaves. Wow. So you can see how huge that can be. It's incredibly huge. And of course, this even blends into the conversation that we're often having on this podcast involving people that are survivors, uh, either satanic ritual abuse or government-sponsored abuse, even up into Illuminati-level abuse because many of those that are coming out of these worlds have other individuals in those worlds that have bills of sales on them. They've actually paid money. They've financed programming. They also look at them like property that as their slaves. Um, and so when we were talking about this, you know, it was kind of like, wow, this, this may be a real key uh, for, for, for not only, you know, you're more, normal communities of people, and, and I use that word tongue-in-cheek, you know, meaning not dealing with the complexities of the spiritual estranglement that happens when, a strangulation, when you come under that kind of an oppressive background. But anyway, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit, before we crack all of that open, on, on uh, false liens or liens in general. And how liens in the spirit, well, first of all, what they are, and then how they affect our lives. Okay. 
you, you know, if you're going to look for it in the Bible, do I find the word leans? You're not going to find it. However, no. in the natural, uh, if somebody had a, owned a home and they had a, a contractor come and do some work on the home, then they refused to pay that subcontractor. The subcontractor could get what is referred to as a workman's lien, which means uh, if he tries to sell, if they try to sell the home, that that lien has to be satisfied before anything else can be uh, finalized. Uh, and many times they would require that before even a, any kind of sale would go through. In the in our in our personal lives, the enemy creates liens against us. For example, let's use the emotion grief. When someone passes away who's very close to you, there's a natural period of grieving. Now, the problem is when someone goes five years and it's still like it happened yesterday, something's wrong with that. We know that men will usually get over a grief situation with the, when the spouse dies in, in a short period of time, where the, the woman will maybe go three, four, five years. Okay. That's okay as long as it's when it's in those normal time frames but when we go extended ones and we keep refreshing it we keep building memorials to that person we're extending the grief process unnaturally okay when we're in the process of extending it like that but we don't yet get our identity from it we were in essence we have a lien against us or a note okay when our identity when we get, begin to get our identity from who we are, we're the grieving widow, that's our identity now, then that thing has slipped over into ownership, a false title, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I think it's a point of where we do we get our identity? Some people are known for, they want to be known as, I am in this condition, I, I have this sickness or I have this disease, Okay. Uh, if they've ever had a cancer diagnosis, it tried to quickly own you and say, oh, you're going to have the results everybody else has had with this. And it creates a a pressure on you to succumb to fear. So the Lord doesn't want us succumbing to fear, so we need to find out, all right, what's going on here and get that thing dealt with. And now I mentioned the word notes. Uh, a note is very similar to a loan or a mortgage, but it's a little less formal. It's usually with friends or family type of arrangements, some of them that you're close to. So it's not as formal as a bank mortgage or things like that, but it still has the same legal impact because you can file a note in the county courthouse and so that it has legal standing and that you can, uh, they can be uh, sent to uh, taking the court over that particular note, the non-payment of that note or whatever the case may be and get it uh, handled in the court system. So if you can do that with a note, you can do it with a mortgage uh, and with a lien, those things need to be considered. But I think it's the point of ownership. Do I get my identity from this, uh, where I am right now? That's what I would say is when you, when you reach a point of ownership, it's when my identity is tied up in this thing. Man, so now you bring up the uh, the issue of you know the way things happen with the Emancipation Proclamation in this country. Now, I, I guess what I want to ask is, 
have you deployed the use of these courts and seen that transition people um, in your ministry? And if so, uh, in specific examples, so to speak, just generally speaking, what did those transitions look like, if you have any? Okay. Now, that understanding is just pretty recent. So we're, okay. just, we're still in the process of implementing it. Matter of fact, tonight I'm doing it at a church, predominantly black church. And we've, we're brought up to this point in the ownership and order thing. And tonight is their night of freedom where we oh. deal with these, uh, these, the ownership claim, because we explained some of the, some of the things they did not understand about the slavery situation. For example, you know, when they were, uh, captured when their tribe, their ancestors were captured in, in Africa. It was usually a dominant tribe that did the capturing and would sell them to the traders, the Dutch traders or whoever it happened to be. When they were in the process of being loaded on the ship, many times they were run to a what amounts to like a cattle, uh, tr uh, almost like a, a cattle walkway. Only one cow could walk away. You've seen those. Uh, stockyards and things. Well, they did the same thing with the people, but they had a witch doctor saying, I remove your identity from you. You will no longer be known by who you've been known as. You will take on the identity of whoever owns you. So we look at the black culture. What do we see with an identity thing? They're, they're an identity crisis. They will do, they'll fix their cars up to create an identity. They'll do all the tattoos for an identity. They'll do all these other things trying to find their identity not realizing that see they don't they can't trace their ancestry because they don't know where they came from past the slave era so that puts them in a quandary with that because you know there's something back there you don't know where to go looking when you're dealing with generational issues in your history because you don't know what they were involved with so unless the holy spirit lets you in on that you got a little bit of a challenge with that uh, then when when they arrived, uh, they were they became the property of whoever purchased them. Now, part of the submission process was many times the slave owner would the the more strong the stronger and more viral you were, the more you could reproduce and birth babies for them, then you had more value to them because they wouldn't have to pay for all those slaves. They could just buy two, and he became the stud. Mm -hmm. And his job was to have babies, create babies. They would have women whose job was to continually birth babies. And that was their job. How many times do we see within that culture, they run from bedroom to bedroom, woman to woman. And now at the same time, what the slave owners did was they would take the husband and in front of the wife and the children, kill him and say, you're going to depend on me, not upon your husband. Your husband can't be dependent upon to protect you or provide for you. Your provision comes from me. Now, what has that done, culturally speaking? They, you have rampant uh, uh, children born out of wedlock with no father in the house because the fathers have been, they've been told they cannot depend on the guy. So there is no man in the house. So. Wow, and and it—I mean, there really has been a transition. And and I, the the, the 
the system of injustice around the imprisonment of black males and the way, uh, and I would extend that to minorities because I'm going to include Puerto Ricans, right? Right. <laughs> and others in that conversation are, are, are you, you know, I, do not, I'm like, I don't want to be anywhere near a court for a, a drug charge or felony. Not that I would do drugs, but the, the thing is, it's just, there's an assumption made the moment that right. these minorities are walking in. It's like, okay, I know what to do with you. And, and many people testify to unjust processes that are, that they're still walking through, their kids are walking through. And it's, but you can see a foundation laid in what you're describing and what you're saying. I didn't know about the witch doctor part of it. I, I didn't know that they had witch doctors doing their stuff over the people walking on the boats. I mean, that news to me, that's huge. Oh, it explains a lot. That explains a lot. Uh, then you've got, you have all the outworkings of that. During uh, Franklin Roosevelt's era, he had the Works Progress Administration. And so one of the programs was that they would send out interviewers to interview the descendants of slaves and former slaves, the ones who were former slaves and their descendants. And they did this whole series of interviews. And you can find them online. They're free to read. called the, the Slave Chronicles. And they're broken down by different states. Uh, North Carolina has two books on it that I've read them. And every, every state in the s South had some kind of books. As you read those, you hear re uh, echo then what you are hearing now repeated. Some of the very same phrases because they had been made to depend upon their master when the, when the Civil War ended or the war between the states ended they had nowhere to go. Their master had abandoned them. Okay, so they had been trained to always look toward a master, which is why they're so drawn to a certain political party because they want to be there. They won't call it that, but that's what they're doing. They're creating that subset. Huh. Okay, so you can see the book can go have a lot of impact if we learn a few things. This is fascinating. And you could literally go from people group to people group. Oh, yeah. Each one has their own batch of stuff. The Puerto Ricans have their own stuff. The Cubans will have their own stuff. See, when they come out of the communism, which will happen in, in the next few years, you're gonna, we're going to have to deal with things on the level of the spirit, not merely on the natural plane. Because... Just because you're free naturally doesn't mean you're free in your spirit and in your within your heart. So if we get these things in place before the fact, they can have the benefit of not starting out waiting on 30, 40 years of passage of time. So now coming back to the subject of like a person who has, say, uh, someone that has purchased them in the dark world. They have a handler that assumes some uh, rights over that person's life. Right? You know, what are the implications in regards to this conversation? As a matter of fact, you actually start this book, Engaging the Courts of Ownership and Order, with a story of this nature. I'm just gonna have you talk a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. The story we started out with was a young lady that had been purchased for a half a million dollars to be the slave of 
this, this, these people. Uh, so in the process, which is actually how the book, the revelation of the book came forward, was that uh, a friend of mine was in the courts of heaven and the Holy Spirit led her to ask for a transfer of title from that person, from those people or that person over to the Lord Jehovah, back to the rightful ownership. And we're asking, and what we ask in payment is the salvation of their posterity. Because we can't pay them the price for that. They wouldn't sell her anyway, just as a matter of principle. So mm-hmm. well, we can request the salvation of their, their seed. Okay, which is what we need to do in the situation with the, the blacks' ancestry, is request the salvation of the slave owner's seed. Okay, so which is we we did that. There was a transfer of title from that owner to the Lord of Hosts, based on Psalm twenty-four one, because anything after what the Lord established because he's, he's, it says in another verse that he established it from the foundations, then anything else after that is uh, basically a false title because he never released it. So based on the fact that it was a false title, we can get the true title reenacted. So we're actually invalidating the old title. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, talk to us a little bit about enforcing a transfer of title. Okay. Uh, always you have to look at what, what repentance needs to be done on your side of the fence. Are, have we embraced some things that we need to repent of? Have we done some things we need to repent of? The, as I've said before and I say in my books, the more repentant we are, the more traction or the more ground we can gain in the courts of heaven. Because we have to be repentant and recognizing that all of our ancestors weren't, uh, didn't go to Sunday school. They did some pretty wicked stuff. And so if we'll own that and, and get that under the blood of Jesus, then we have, it's much easier for the Lord to work on our behalf because he's working with folks that are trying to do everything they can do to get things clear. So we also request angelic assistance in that because sometimes they've got to be taken out of that place of bondage but once the, the title is clear, uh, the encumbrance are, are removed, that person can come out into a place of freedom that they've not known before. Uh, but again, we're relying on the strength of the court for those kind of things because they're way too much involved sometimes to be able to do it in person. <laughs> and I can see the wheels turning with what you're, with some of the stuff you deal with. Well, and, and, and let me just flesh this out a little bit. Okay, so... so okay. Uh, <clears throat> Let's say uh, an evil entity, Leviathan, right. takes out a lien against a person's destiny because there was a purchase made in the spirit and the parent gained certain benefits right. for selling out their future seed to this guy. And now he has the... He owns it, yeah. So, so you have an entity that actually has a, this thing, right? And so it's a very powerful entity, very strong. And you say, you know, all right, I want a judgment in my favor that this entity does not own me, even though there was a price paid because the blood of Jesus has purchased me back to God. And then this guy gets ticked. 
I'm Big Bad Leviathan and I'm mad. So I'm going to destroy your business. I'm going to destroy your property. There will be a fire in your house and this and that. And so there's a retaliation by said entity. Or if it's a warlock or something like that, and you do this transfer tile and they're like sitting there, what do you mean? You, you, you trying to say that I don't own you anymore, but th- you know, there's astral projection going on, right. spiritual or astral rape going on, stuff of this nature. And the person says, well, I b- prayed my transfer of title prayer, but they're still coming after me. There's still retaliation because Dr. Horner, I'm going to be honest. I live here, right? This is my space. I live here with people that I'm journeying with. And, and you know, we do pray. And, and some of our prayers, like a, we have a prayer called freedom from, uh, you know, fallen heavenly powers. We have a prayer called uh, freedom from human persecutors that, that essentially accomplishes similar things to your court cases, which are amazing, by the way. And folks, his book has a whole chart that you can use to, I mean, it's like to the point, really good. But but in enforcing these judgments and these decrees, what are some of the things you've learned? Okay. One thing is, like you mentioned, the trades. We, we, we request a cancellation of every trade, every ungodly trade, okay, being satisfied by the blood of Jesus because we know the, uh, Satan has no higher answer for anything than the blood of Jesus. You know, that is our trump card, so to speak. It's the blood of Jesus. So I'm requesting the cancellation of every trade. I'm also requesting, sometimes I'll be requesting, what are the weapons of war that God has that he wants to bring to bear in this situation? For example, in his, uh, Exodus 15, when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, you know, it says the breath of God was a weapon of war. And the weapons, we've not learned how to access the weapons in our spiritual arsenal outside of the sword and, and a few other things like that. But there are a whole lot of weapons that we really need to learn how to access. When we read Psalm 91, we're thinking of things that I get to be afraid of. No, what David was talking about in Psalm 91, he's referring to weapons of warfare that God used that they had to be afraid of, not you had to be afraid of the devil doing to you. But let's turn the, let's flip the page a little bit. Okay, he talks about the plagues. Where did the plagues show up? Moses, okay, look at those things. So look at it from the standpoint, are these weapons that God used against the enemy? Because it talks about in one of the Psalms, he says, there are angels of destruction. We're not talking about demons. We're talking about uh, about angelic forces. They go in and clean house. But we're always thinking of angels being little Valentine Cupids. And that's really uh, the wrong perspective for the angels. (laughs) You may have a few like that, but they're not the ones I'm working with. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. That's like, that's like literally right up my alley. You know, I, I, this is what I've learned. I've learned that there will be retaliation in many cases um, as, as you process things through from a legal perspective. They're going to come back and test. And what I've done is executed just punishment with the weapons of warfare found in the word of God. And we, we actually, I did two podcasts on this. We have like prayers that just are literally just designed to go through all these weapons and just lose them. Like, just yeah, like a barrage, you know, like a barrage. Amen. It's just like, you know, um, 
some of these things can be very stubborn. Well, then we have to remember that we can be just as stubborn. Come on. You know, uh, very simply, the enemy, sometimes he's going to knock on the door and see if the door is going to be opened. Okay, so let's keep the door locked. But at the same time, we don't have to keep it locked from the uh, point of fear. Uh, I'm of the standpoint that much of our prayer life has been based on defensive prayers. Mm. And we need to be in a posture that we're not praying defensively, that he's concerned about when we wake up. We're not concerned about waking up. He's concerned about us when we wake up. What I'm going to have to contend with with this guy again today. And and so my mindset is a little different than the average uh, charismatic out there that has all these defensive prayers. And I'm just trying to keep the devil out the the back door, you know. And I don't have to live that way. Uh, I have the weapons. And as I say, when when you've seen the size of some of our angels, you're not worried about a little chihuahua demon. Okay, because they can take care of things for us, and they're perfectly willing to. One time, my wife was at was in a in a vision, and she saw this angel about twelve feet tall, and she saw what she thought was a curtain behind it. I said, "Look again," and so she looked, and she just kept looking upward, and she saw that's another angel. He's about fifty feet tall. Behind that was a she thought was another curtain. I said, "Look again." Mm. And she looked, and as as far as she could, she couldn't see the top of the angel. We're talking about hundreds of feet high, so that just gives you an idea. There's some pretty good sized ones out there. They can handle things, and they have the weaponry and the warfare and the warfare skills because they're the ones who can go toe to toe with these demons and these principalities and stuff. We don't have to go toe to toe with them. We can just direct traffic, you know. I like that direct traffic. I will say this, and I don't know if you've run into this, but I, I certainly have. As uh, as I've walked out my journey with Jesus, what I've found is that at different junctures, as a matter of fact, this this actually happened just this past weekend. Um, so so we, I was having a conversation with God, and, and in response to some of the things that I was telling Him and signing up for and agreeing to, whatever, it was like there were other angel battalions that were being added to my uh sphere right it's like now for this these guys are going to work with you and for that these guys are going to work with you and and there were were some really cool ones that i saw the the first were like these you're like big that they had black armor on they they were like massive sumos and and angels and it was like oh and and true with these guys I'm not going to talk about their job on, on the air, but, but there, it was like, I was seeing them come in and it was in direct response because God asked me something. I said, yes, and I'm going to do this. And he's like, okay, now these guys are going to, and it's like, as we walk out our journey with Jesus in intimacy and obedience, God will add to us more uh, resources from his kingdom that are at our disposal and, and in conjunction with our assignment. And some believers try to do spiritual warfare apart from a deepening intimate relationship with jesus right that's a good way to get yourself beat up right because you end up trespassing a lot or getting into battles that you're not equipped to take on because god hasn't given you the resources for that yet he's just trying to get your heart right right i refer to that as uh, going above your pay grade uh, 
you know, you're stepping onto something that you don't have the anointing for or the authority for or, uh, or the experience for. Uh, in one of the books I talk about, David learned a lesson from Samuel or from Saul. When he was in Ziklag and they, uh, they, well, they had been away at battle, the enemy came in and took away the wives and kids and things like that. And so all the, all the soldiers of David were kind of depressed and open. What are we going to do? And David goes, said, I'm going to go ask the Lord. And he said, shall I go up? And the Lord said, yes. Then he said, well, will I overcome them? He asked the second question. A lot of times we don't ask the second question. We just assume, yeah, I can go pick a fight. But David knew that if he could, he could pick a fight, but just because he could pick it didn't mean he would win it. And if he wasn't going to win it, he wasn't going to pick it. So in our own personal walk, we'll say, oh, God says you can do this thing. Yeah, I can, but will I overcome? Will I win? Will I succeed in this thing? If I don't get the answer, the right answer to the second question, it doesn't matter what the first question was. I'm going to wait a while. And if we would learn to do that, we would save ourselves a whole lot of grief uh, in our endeavors because we've done a lot of things because somebody gave us a prophetic word. We didn't listen for the rest of the prophetic word or the timing of the prophetic word. So, but that's another matter. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, church life, community. You talk in your book about the danger of leaders laying a false claim to their flock. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and explain? Okay. There, there are some churches that they have proclaimed from their pulpits that unless you're tied to this church, your destiny is tied directly to this church. And so you can never leave this, this church because you'll be forfeiting your destiny. Well, that really sounds a whole lot like what the Catholic Church did up until just a few years ago. Said, there is no other church but us. We're the only ones with the real truth. So when we, if we embrace that idea that my destiny is tied to that particular church, then what if God does have in mind for you to be elsewhere at some point in time? You're, you go there, but you go there with a sense of guilt that, oh, no, I'm never going to reach my destiny because I, I forfeited it when I left this church. And so the, the pastor's laying a claim on you that really is not his place to, uh, to do that. Now, I think that's re really reserved for the Lord. Uh, there are also pastors that, uh, you know, they, when they, they refer to you affectionately as my flock, and, but they don't do it so affectionately except they do it from a claim of ownership. This is my flock. Nobody else can have them. Now, it's good to be protective, but you're stewards. You're not owners. And a lot of pastors haven't gotten that memo yet. Okay, they need to read a few more verses to get to the rest of the chapter uh, because they've done that kind of thing. I've known of pastors that they wanted you to be dependent upon their anointing for everything. If you got sick, you went to them to pray for you, and they would by their anointing they could get that thing broken off of you but you couldn't pray for yourself or anything because you didn't know how you'd been totally dependent upon this guy well what happens when that guy dies you've been serving god for 30 years and but you don't know how to do anything for yourself 
So you're still in nursery school when you should be a college graduate. And I've known churches exactly like that, where that was what the pastor was after, was to create a, such a dependency on him because that gave him validation. Okay? But he, he's passed away now, so what do those folks do? Because they had always been dependent on, on them. They don't know how to survive on their own. And uh, that's a sad way for church folks to be. What does a person do if they realize that this is the environment they are in right now? I, I, for the short answer, run. Run. <laughs> Move out as quickly as possible, graciously as possible. Always, you want to try to leave right as much as you can. However, an unhealthy church cannot create healthy parishioners. An unhealthy leadership cannot create healthy followers. So sometimes you, no matter how well you try, you won't be able to leave well. But you can leave as well as you possibly can before the Lord. And, and that is that you don't go bad-mouthing and things like that. You just fade away, so to speak. You, uh, but also, when you leave, don't leave by text. Or email. Just if you're going to leave, talk to somebody in person. I've known church after church. Oh, they're leaving the church, but they send them a text that they're doing so. Come on, we can do a little better than that. A little more adult than that, you know. So, <laughs> well, I don't know if you realize how uh, prolific the the breakups over the text have become lately. <laughs> Some of these young people. Uh, well, as someone refers to it, it's intimacy without confrontation. Okay. So that's why they do the voicemail or the uh, text. They can get in your face, but they don't have to confront you. Mm. So. Um, I've, I've run into, you know, the situation, too, where, where some groups actually will tell the intercessors to strategically pray against all success or progress or anything like that for a person that is leaving fellowship. Oh yeah, they'll also tell you to defriend everybody, defriend them on your Facebook, so that wouldn't be your quote friends on Facebook, uh, among other things. And if you see them in the store, you don't talk to them. You know, we're doing the. Uh, uh, excommunication thing but what if they're not wrong in what they're doing then you're creating your own problems you know we know the principle from Deuteronomy that if you made an accusation against an elder but the accusation was found not to be true then whatever punishment would have been on the elder comes upon you so it's the same idea it's charismatic witchcraft is what it boils down to so I'd rather keep my nose clean on that kind of thing. Let God fight the battles, not me. It's, they're not my kids, they're his. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Yeah, yeah he will. And he will. You know, I, had, I heard one preacher explain it this way. Um, <laughs> the vengeance of God is so righteous and just and complete in its manifestation. What does he need your vengeance for? 
yeah, uh, how good are we at that anyway? You know, I, I had someone say, what about the, with the children of Israel and Moses and uh, they were in the, in the desert? Now, God would have a bad day and he's ready to wipe them out. And Moses said, God, you can't do that today. He made a promise. Well, how it looked to the, uh, to the Egyptians if you do that. Then a few days later, Moses is having a bad day, and he's ready to wipe them out. And God said, Moses, we can't do that. We made a promise. Aren't we glad that he didn't have the bad day at the same time? <laughs> so. Um, all right. So, so let me ask you this question. You, you actually get into some interesting things in this book on engaging the courts for ownership and order, including correcting time. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about correcting time for okay. those that are listening. Right. We, when we're talking about that, we're stepping into the court of times and seasons. Mm. Uh, most people, when they see that, oftentimes they'll see just a, a large room with clocks on, on the wall. All kinds of clocks, large clocks, small clocks, big Ben, you name it, grandfather clocks, even cuckoo clocks, which is always funny to watch. Uh, but what you, what we're looking for is what do the what what is the time on those clocks? Because that's usually significant, uh, something that happened in somebody's life. Now we know from Ecclesiastes that there's a time and purpose uh, under everything has a time and purpose under heaven. So there's a time and a season for things. So not only are we looking at times, but we're also sometimes looking at seasons. Some people with whatever happened in their life, some event happened in, the, in their life, they have lost not merely hours on their clock, but they've lost years or decades. And we've seen them as they step in and we request that their life be resynchronized to the timing of God, that they would see just the seasons pass by them in rapid succession. Usually it's moving forward. Sometimes we've seen them actually move backwards just depending on what the situation was for that person. Then when the, the seasons finished their, uh, their cycling, then the clocks would begin to move, either forward real fast or slow. Uh, sometimes they would move backwards very quickly. But you would see different clocks, and most of the time they would be all moving ahead. Sometimes they would pause at something. If they were pausing, then we would request that any trades that were impeding its uh, readjustment to be canceled. And then we'd see the clock move ahead again. And we're typically seeing that the clocks would always synchronize to 12 noon. That was just seemed to be the signal that everything is in sync now. And sometimes the people would even feel within them almost like uh, how a clock will go when it goes to the next minute, there's a click. They would actually feel something like a click within them, say, that feels better. Mm. And can, can we explain that? Not necessarily. But we have seen all kinds of clocks. We've even seen sometimes where the, the clock was so damaged that they just replaced the clock. They could look at the clock and it looked like it had been run over by a truck. I mean, whatever happened there was pretty dramatic. But the Lord just removed that clock and just gave them a new clock. Uh, we've seen situations where angels were taking a hammer and knocking the and breaking the thing loose because it hadn't moved at all in years. And so they're readjusting it, however they go about it. So Now, you talk a little bit about how you had a situation where you applied this in your life. Okay. Can you talk about that? 
I've got to think of which situation we're referring to in the book. Because, <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, uh, see, I'm, in the, I'm doing court sessions every day with people. And so all these different things get intermeshed after a while. And say, which one? Okay, which one was that? Uh, but there, are, there have been situations where the, uh, you knew th things were off sync, uh, out of sync with where you needed to be. Mm -hmm. And so you needed a God to readjust it. So we'd request that readjustment. Uh, in one case, we did see uh, an angel with a hammer whacking the thing, breaking it loose like it had been frozen. The rust or something had frozen it. And so they were working on it, whacking the thing, and, and it finally moved. And then it was okay. But it was frozen in whatever that time was. It's quite humorous sometimes to watch these little clock, these angels that are clock repairmen with all their stuff because they'll do all kind of uh, what seem to us crazy things but uh, you get the sense all right he's taking a hammer to that thing and and wailing on it to get that thing broken loose just <laughs> <laughs> like a like he's taking a sledgehammer to it but it breaks loose and then okay but it, then when you know the situation with a person you think that's probably about right it was pretty frozen in time for them so they had to get unfrozen or unstuck. And they were just stuck worse than others. So uh, the cuckoo clocks are fun mm. because it almost seems to fit with the personality. In one case, it was railroad clocks. Oh, wow. With the different choo-choo, uh, the whistle sounds. <laughs> and they could hear the sounds. Okay. Yeah, and you've seen the one, the bass, the fishing clocks? Yeah. Guess what? We've seen oh. the fishing clock. No. <laughs> the fishing clock. Yeah, the fishing clock. It's too much. Okay. <laughs> so, but guess what? The person loved fishing. <laughs> okay. So. But that's a spirit world for you. I mean, it's just so, uh, so much more, I think, than what the church has dared to understand or accept for so long. You know, now we're finally beginning to see the spirit realm for what it is. It's like, you can see where creativity comes, you know, in to play. It's like, you know, it's all over the spirit world much more than sometimes, you know, the 3D world and what we're even a lot of uh, able to bring to expression. And, you know, I, I love, one of the reasons why I love the assignment that I have is because I get to see so much of the spirit world seen through the eyes of so many people and all the stories begin to converge on a, on a single narrative where it's like, wow, this is how the spirit world works. And, and, and one thing that you see so clearly is the creativity of God and how he so enjoys our uniqueness and even appreciates the desires of our own hearts you know, there's so much of that passage where it says, you know, God will give us the desires of our own hearts. I mean, I think that would even extend to the, to the type of clock that would appear in, in the, these kind of proceedings. It's like, right, right. Oh, God I'll, saw that in you and valued that. You, 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 you literally are that important to God that he takes into account these little things. And even they play well into your redemption. It's just profound to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we've seen when it came to ministries that were out of sync. Mm. Uh, usually the clocks were very large. Uh, almost it appeared like a bin, big bin type of clock. 
just a massive thing. Uh, but you would see the thing shift and you would hear the, 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 the chimes or the dong, whatever it, it settled in. Uh, or you have the chauffeurs that show up to announce something happening like that. So there's an infinite, infinite variety when it comes to those things in the, in the clocks, the times and seasons. We've seen linear clocks. I can't even explain except to say it was linear. It wasn't like anything we usually use, but I know they've got those kind of things. So uh, he's uh, quite unique. Uh, sometimes you will see the clerks, the ones who work there, they'll look like the ones with the, uh, the white shirts and the armband and the little green visors. Wow. Okay. Which, now, I've seen that. Then I've heard other people. They look like little bankers from the Old West stuff. <laughs> with a white shirt with the armband around it and the, the little green visor, like the telegraph operator that you see in the Westerns. <laughs> so, uh, however he wants to do it, that's up to him. It says in Psalms that he does what he pleases. Wow. So, Mm, mm, mm. Amen. Well, Dr. Horner, uh, do you have any final thoughts, last things that you'd like to share on the subject of engaging the courts for ownership and order or any of the other related subjects that we've brought up during this conversation? Okay. Well, let me give you a little quick story on the uh, when it comes to the property aspect. Yes. Okay. Uh, one of the, in one situation, they had property that was not moving. They wanted to sell the property. And so we need to see what were the encumbrances. And they saw uh, coins had been buried on the property. Well, they did not know this in the natural. A couple weeks later, the lady is talking with her a sister. And the sister, yeah, I talked to a medium and she says, I should go play, place coins in different places on the property so that it would sell. Now, so the lady did not know about this at the time. They went, she and her son went out with a metal detector and, and found coins and dug them up so they could cancel that uh, ungodly trade. So then the property was able to be released to move. In another situation, they purchased the property, but a lot of uh, mishaps have been happening on the property. And so they had to find out, all right, something, there's a curse on this thing for some reason, so we need to find out what it is. As we uh, researched in the, in the realm of the spirit, we began to see things that had happened in the past on that land, innocent bloodshed that had been uh, occurred on that land. And we got that dealt with, uh, repented of, et cetera. And the land, there's a clearness to the land. There's no longer the strife that was on the land. None of those kind of things. So now they're gonna progress with what they need to do. So if you're looking to purchase property, you wanna do a spiritual check first, find out what the, uh, any encumbrances that are on that land because sometimes you may not be up for the fight for that particular piece of land or I'd like to know what's in, what's looking what I'm looking at and what's in front of me uh, when I step into the court of titles and deeds uh, often it's almost like going into the uh, planning office in a planning department for a city or a county where they have all these plats these uh, flat drawers with different map, maps and I tell them, this is the address of the property. Can we, I, I need to see what the history of this property is. What do we need to deal with? And they'll pull out a map for that particular property. And as I look at the map, it just becomes alive, like a, like a video playing the history of the land ever since it was uh, created. 
and you can find out things that good things that happened, bad things that happened. For the good things you can celebrate, for the bad stuff you got to repent, you know, and and get the get the land cleared so that you don't have the encumbrances on it. Uh, and you want to find out: are, is that keeping it from selling, or what do I need to do with this? What's the plan of God for that particular piece of property? Uh, some land is blessed more than others. And so we want to find out what that is and, and get those things dealt with because we we sometimes end up on property and all of a sudden we're experiencing a lot of junk we didn't know we weren't expecting. And it has to do with the land that you're on, stuff that happened there that needs to be cleared out. So you want to step into the titles and deeds and begin to do some stuff, get your ownership cleared up, not just on you, but on the stuff that you own. Okay. So. I believe that is an on-time word for a number of people that are going to be hearing this podcast. And so I want to say thank you, Dr. Warner, uh, one, for putting this book together, folks. It's called Engaging the Courts for Ownership and Order and all of the rest of them. By the way, my guest, Dr. Warner, is now the uh, most prolific author on the subject of Courts of Heaven there is. Is that right? I've got 10 books on it right now that I know of. Ten books on the subject of the courts of heaven. Uh, absolute resource, and I, I know we're going to be seeing more of him in the future. Uh, just such such a depth of understanding and revelation on this subject. So, so folks, if you want more of Dr. Horner's stuff, you can go to courtsofheaven.info. Courtsofheaven.info. That's where you can find him. He has all of his books for sale on that site. And you can also reach out and say hi. Uh, Just don't say hi all at once because he's busy. Okay? (laughs) Be nice. (laughs) Be be patient. (laughs) Be patient. (laughs) Um, So, so good. Well, Dr. Dorn, it's been a pleasure as it was the last time. And folks, until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.